Well, good morning, GPC Church family. This is week three where we're looking in the Scriptures at the Ten Commandments. And I have failed to acknowledge the artwork that serves as a kind of logo for this series. And so I want to say it immediately before I forget for the third time. But this, this is serving as a, as a picture to sum up what we're going to hear about from the Ten Commandments over the next several weeks. And Sam Abbott, who was an Erskine student some years ago when I was preaching through this series then, she actually drew this for me. I, I told her what I wanted it to encapsulate, and she put it together. And she used to worship here at GPC. Some of you may remember that name of Sam Abbott. But she created this for us. And if you forget or don't understand what we're doing, this picture really does capture it as we consider the Ten Commandments. If you look at the picture, you see the heart, yet it's tablets of stone on which the Ten Commandments were given to us. And then you'll see that it's, that tablet is broken right down the middle, imperfectly kept by the man who, or the woman, or the child who is holding it. And you see that clever little silhouette of a person at the bottom. Some of you thought that that was a chocolate-dipped heart. It's not a chocolate-dipped heart, but it really does say a lot. If you look at that, maybe you can use that to kind of explain to your children the big idea and the picture of what we're trying to learn as we consider the ten words of God, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. However you know it, however you've heard it said, that is what we're considering. And I'll sum up what we've said so far in this way. If you've not captured what we've said, or maybe you're here for the first time. The law of God, the Ten Commandments originally in Exodus 20, were given to a people that God had delivered. He had saved them. And so this is what's key. The law was not given to God's people for their justification. It was given for their sanctification. And you and I are living in a Christian culture in the southeast of America that 8 out of 10 people, if you ask them why God gave us the Ten Commandments and why the Ten Commandments should matter to you, we will typically hear answers that sound like the law was given for our justification. Well, you know, if I keep these Ten Commandments, then I have a chance of getting into heaven. And I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Because I feel like most of them, like the second commandment this morning, they don't really relate to me. And I've never killed anybody. I've never murdered anybody. So I'm doing pretty well. So I think I got a pretty good shot of getting into heaven. You've got to understand, as we get our arms around the law, like the man in the image, the law was not given to justify us. It is our means of knowing how to be sanctified, what God is calling us, how God's calling us to live. And we're called to love God in the way that we live. And He's given us ten things that matter to Him. Okay? Not a perfect summary or explanation, but hopefully one that's helpful to you, maybe to your children. This morning we're looking at the second commandment, commandment number two, Exodus chapter 20 verses 4 through 6, and maybe this will sound like one that you're not too concerned about violating, but maybe we'll learn otherwise this morning. Give your attention. 
Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray that God would open our eyes to understand His Word. Lord, would you do that this morning? Would you take these words, your words given long ago, and would you bring the meaning and the understanding and the right application of it into our lives, that we would love you with our lives, that we would honor you as we should. Bring conviction, but show grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Okay, an absurd illustration. It's every parent's greatest concern. You go into the bathroom and you notice that the bar of soap is missing. And so you go to the other bathroom to borrow a bar of soap and it's missing. And you walk into your child's room and there they are with a pocket knife whittling away at the bar of soap, shaping it and forming it into an image that they can worship. Or worse, you walk outside into the backyard where your wood pile is, and they have your children, or maybe it's your spouse. I don't know. It's an absurd illustration, remember? Maybe your spouse has gone out and started to stack up the firewood into this tall totem pole that they're falling down and worshiping. I mean, what is this commandment about? We're not concerned about those things. Is that what this commandment is about? No, not really. On the surface, yes. But this morning, I want us to get to the heart and the principle of what God is saying is true about us and our tendency to create and worship idols. So what were idols? I have a couple of points, four points for us this morning. First, what idols were? It is true that idols in the Old Testament, they were graven images of the sky, of the land, creatures of the sea that were offered worship. There's something about the human heart that is quick to create idols, to create things to worship. And there's something about humanity that is fascinated with creation and has, has always recognized the power of ferocious beasts and animals, right? So in the Old Testament, the pagan nations would create images of Birds of the air, the sun, moon, and stars, creatures of the earth, creatures of the sea, and they would worship those things, trying to get something from them. Maybe a good harvest, 
maybe abundant children, hardworking labor for the future. Whatever it was, man was trying to manipulate God and would worship created things to get what they wanted. You know, we too were fascinated by birds of the air, creatures of the ground and the sea. Just think for a minute about your favorite high school or college sports team. They have a mascot, right? And usually, I don't know what the percentage is, but the high percentage of college mascots, high school mascots, they tend to be what? Birds of the air, creatures of the land, creatures of the sea. And they tend to be the strong creatures, right? The ferocious creatures. Tigers, bears, eagles, right? There's a reason. We have always identified with, with the strong and fast-moving, uh, the things that are predators. We acknowledge the strength of that. And so we can kind of giggle about Israel and the pagan nations emphasizing those things, but in our own way, in our own culture, we recognize what they recognize, that there is something powerful and beautiful about these things. Just this very week, I was walking around on my property, and I looked up and I saw a hawk land on the fence with a squirrel in its talons. And the hawk was sitting on the fence, and he was a powerful bird. Shoulders and chest and talons. And, and I was like, that's an incredible thing. Not going to bow down and worship it, right? But I understand humanity and how we recognize beauty, power, and strength. And there's something about God's people that have always just gotten it wrong. We've wanted to overemphasize the things that God has said, no, 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 no. You're putting the wrong emphasis on those things. So graven images of the sky, the land, and the sea were offered worship. And we can do the same thing. I would argue that on Saturday afternoons, we're worshiping those mascots with our time. We're throwing feasts and festivals. We love it. We can be idolatrous with that. It's not necessarily idolatrous. But we can prostrate ourselves in front of a TV and pull for those tigers, pull for those gamecocks, pull for those whatever. So just consider that. What are you laying yourself before? What are you prostrating yourself before with your time, energy, and money? It's also idols were someone's innocent-seeming great idea. I want you to think about that for a moment. You know, somebody had to speak up and say, well, I got an idea. Why don't we build a totem pole and put the powerful hawk at the top? And everybody else is like, yeah, that's a great idea. That's what the other nations do, and they seem to be doing well, so, so let's do that. It's a great idea. It's a great sounding idea that people have always fallen for. Old Testament, New Testament, and now. And we need to think about that. We're not superior to those who have come before us. We are gullible to the same things. And it's always an innocent-seeming good idea to be distracted from the worship of Yahweh with somebody's good idea. You know what good ideas are like 
and how they have consequences and they can dominate and control everything before you know it. Here's my example of that. Did you know that in 1876, from Japan, the United States of America, somebody had a good idea in 1876. And you know what that good idea was? Hey, let's plant kudzu over here because they said it will help with erosion and it's a beautiful ornamental plant. Now, I'm not a horticulturist. I did take a hortotherapy class at Clemson University, so maybe that gives me the authority to say this. Kudzu dominates the southeast. And every time from now on, when you drive around Greenwood or Abbeville or wherever you are, and you see kudzu, if you don't know what kudzu is, come see me after the sermon. We'll, we'll look at a picture. I want you to see how kudzu was somebody's good idea to help with erosion. And what's happened is it's dominated. It now chokes out our native plants and species. And we're like, well, we don't want it anymore. Well, good luck getting rid of it. You can't get rid of it because it dominates. It grows fast and it dominates everything. And listen, there are a lot of good ideas about how to worship the Lord. We've taken them from other nations and we've come up with them by ourselves. Because remember what John Calvin said last week, the heart, the human heart is a factory of idols. We'll have great ideas about worship. How could we get people, more people to come? How could we do more things? Beware kudzu, kudzu ideas. They have consequences. They will dominate and choke out the real thing. God's people have always fallen for it, and they always will on this side of heaven. But this morning, He's showing us some principles to guard ourselves, guard our church, guard our hearts, guard our family from kudzu ideas. In Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1, I think I have that passage. No, I don't have that passage written. But this is the story of Nadab and Abihu who offered strange fire before the Lord. They had a great idea. Hey, let's worship the Lord this way. And in Leviticus 10, it says this, Aaron, the priest's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they took their censers and put fire in them and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to His command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed Nadab and Abihu, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke about when He said, Among those who approach Me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Which is to say, this is that moment in history where the Lord says, Take my worship seriously. I'm not calling you to have great ideas and to reinvent worship for me. And the Lord sends this powerful message, which should raise a lot of questions in all of our hearts and minds. What's going on here? I don't have time to explain any of that, but we're to take worship very seriously. The Lord shows that in Scripture, and that is at the heart of what the second commandment is all about. He is a jealous God, and the commandment tells us a punishing God. For generations. It's also what idols were. 
They were the way of the day and of the surrounding nations. And so I want you to picture Israel surrounded by all these pagan nations. And they had been told about the one true God and how to worship the one true God. But everybody around them did some cool things. They did some neat things. And Israel kind of responds with a, well, let's be a little bit like that. We kind of want to do that. We're kind of attracted to that. And that's where the Lord says He has a jealous love for His people. His people have not been protective and jealous of Yahweh, their covenant Lord. They've they've had a loose grip on Him and are quick to flirt with the nations. And so we need to guard our hearts. The way of the day and the surrounding nations today is no different. You could do your own evaluation, your own study of, of how great secular approaches, marketing ideas, fill in the blank have encroached upon the ministries of churches. And so we have to guard our hearts, we have to guard the church, we have to guard worship, and just be about the simplest of things that God's called us to be. Those are the kinds of things we're emphasizing at GPC. It's a simple service. We don't have a whole lot of images in here or in the sanctuary for you to look at because you don't need them. You need His Word and you need His Spirit, but more on that in just a minute. It's also what idols were. They were also, and essentially, and this is key, they were the sin of reducing God by imaging Him as a creature, a created thing that man could then manipulate with worship. And that man would do so according to his own personal preferences and at the cost of God's preferences. So I want you to see this. It is man taking the transcendent God and saying, we're going to reduce him to an icon, to an image. We're going to create him with our hands and with our minds. And the Lord says He burns at the thought of a created being creating something and reversing the order of truth, which is that we were created by Him. We were fashioned by Him. And we should never pretend to create God because we'd do what? We'd create Him in some way in our own image according to our own preferences. Think about the Jesus you pictured growing up and what He looked like in the portrayal. Probably like wherever you were from. Your eye color, your skin color. Because that's what we'll do. We'll create God in our own image and in our own likeness. And the Lord says, guard your heart from that. Thomas Watson, who is a Puritan, has this quote. And I'll sum up everything I just said with what he says right here. He says... To set up an image to represent God is debasing of Him. It's devaluing of Him. What greater disparagement is there to the infinite God than to represent Him by that which is finite? The living God by that which is without life? And the maker of all things by that which is made? You see, he captures the reversal, the perversion. 
You cannot capture the holiness and the trueness of God in an image of created things. And the Lord says, don't even try it. Don't go there. That is an idol. And my people will have nothing to do with it. Secondly, what idols are. Okay, so I joked with you in my introduction, none of us is seeing our children whittle at uh, blocks of soap or wood and creating idols in the way that we see the pagan nations doing. But remember that in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, we are told in the New Testament, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So in the New Testament, idols continue to be a real thing, a tangible thing. And in the passage we heard in our reflection and in our call to worship from Acts, you remember the Apostle Paul is walking around Athens and they've got idols everywhere. They'll even inscribe at the bottom of them to an unknown God just to make sure they cover all their bases. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You're worshiping a God you do not know. I'm going to tell you who that God is. It was a really bold statement for the Apostle Paul. And so what are idols? You're probably not whittling blocks of wood or soap in your home. But idols we know from additional teaching in Scripture and from application of God's Word, they're really any object of affection, of attention, or any desire that you have that rivals the Lord. Anything that you and I look to to bless us, anything we put our hope in, can we say it that way? Anything we trust in, anything that you're looking to just really define you, right? I want to be known as fill in the blank. I want to be this fill in the blank. Those are our idols of our hearts. They can be idols of appearance, idols of financial status, They can be idols of beauty, idols of strength, idols of education, idols of status symbols of what kind of house you live in or what kind of car you drive or where you go on vacation. Anything that we look to that we think, now that really makes me. That defines me. I want to be known as the guy who can do that, the girl who can do that. Those are our idols. Those are the things we're looking to, to bless us, to make us prosperous and successful, to give us security and identity and power. That's why the pagan nations looked to their idols. They were looking for power, success, prosperity, and we do the same thing. And we think to ourselves, oh, no, no, I would never bow down to a wooden eagle. How silly. But we bow down to bank accounts, we bow down to sports, we bow down to treadmills and stairmasters and fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you're looking to make it for you, to make life better, to make you more acceptable, likable, to justify yourself. Whatever it is, those are our idols. Idols are also misappropriated hope. As we grope about for power, possession, success, and favor, it's the same concept. How are you groping for power and success? That will lead you to your idol. You can put your finger on your idol. 
You know, it may be making the dean's list, making the president's list, being a starter on your team, whatever it is. Those are idols. They don't define you. And in the end, you'll find out they actually rob you and break you, as we heard last week. And again, idols are innocent-seeming and easily adopted in our culture. You know, we're a superstitious people, and we always have been. Uh, I could ask you to share your stories of if you, were a, if you are an athlete, if you were an athlete, you probably had that lucky pair of socks that you had to wear in your game, or lucky whatever. I'm never washing this shirt again because we won, and so it's good luck. You see, that's how easily and prone our hearts are towards thinking things will bless us. We're just superstitious in nature. Every one of us can be this way. Michael Scott Horton has a quote in his book, The Law of Perfect Freedom, that I think is a great application for us. He says, We must return to the conviction that the Word read... That's the Bible, by the way. The Word is the Bible. Read, preached, taught, and understood. And the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. They are the only means of God's communication with us. We communicate with Him in prayer, and He communicates with us through these, His ordained means. And so we've got to take His Word seriously. That's why it's front and center at GPC in the songs that we sing, the scriptures that we read, the sermons that we hear. We want the Word at the center That's our hope for how God will bless us and speak to us. Not through gut instinct, not through good ideas, but we look to His Word for the principles and the truth that He reveals to us. And and one more application there. I added that just a few minutes ago. What idols are. Idols are clay-footed, brittle structures that collapse under Wait. And I have in mind there Daniel chapter 2, which would be a great passage for you and your family maybe to read over lunch or after lunch. But it's where Nebuchadnezzar has his dream and he's haunted by this dream. And what does this dream mean? And nobody can interpret his dream. And then the Lord raises up Daniel and communicates truth to him. And he goes to the king and he tells this story. And the sum of it is this. The idols that Nebuchadnezzar has seen, the statue that he has seen, has both clay and iron integrated into the structure. You've heard the saying maybe, every idol has clay feet. And that's a reference to Daniel chapter 2, where they had weaved together iron, the truth of iron, and then the cultural good idea of clay and tried to make a tall structure out of it. And every idol has clay feet. It can't withstand weight, and it will collapse over time. And so Daniel reveals the truth of the dream and what the Lord is doing, that the Lord and His Word is iron, but this world is a world of clay. We've come from dust, and to dust we will return. And so consider these things. Those are what idols are, and you and I have them. 
So when you read the Ten Commandments, don't gloss over number two and be like, well, I'm glad I don't do that. You and I do this. We worship the false gods of the culture around us, of the world around us. I do it. You do it. And God is reminding us this morning that He and His worship are to be taken very, very seriously by His people. Third point, and these last two are swift. What the second commandment forbids. These next two points really are coming from the Westminster Shorter Catechism and the Larger Catechism. I've just condensed it into a sentence or two. But what the second commandment forbids is the worshiping of God in any way that He is not appointed in His Word. Meaning, we don't need your good ideas. He's told us in His Word what matters most. And it's simple. And we want to honor it and honor Him. We want to guard His worship and do it carefully. Remember in Exodus chapter 32, that's another example of a great idea. Exodus 32 is the golden calf. When God's people said, okay, give us all your gold, the priests. We're going to melt it down and create a golden calf and we'll bow down to it and worship it as if we're worshiping Yahweh. And the Lord burns with anger. And you and I do the same thing. We will craft and create idols. We will worship things and God forbids it. He wants His worship to be protected because He is holy. And I'll also add this as a way of application. There are so many things in our culture that are innocent-seeming that do this very thing that the commandment forbids. I'll just give you two examples. From college ministry. I remember getting in the car of one of my students many years ago. This is more than 15 years ago. And uh, I was like, what's that? And I got in his car, and there's this thing going like this on his dash. And he's like, oh, that's Jesus. And I said, what? (laughs) And I said, what's that? And he said, that's Jesus. And uh, it was a bobblehead Jesus. You know these bobblehead dolls where you can buy a sports athlete and his head goes like this? And there's Jesus on the dash of his Jeep, you know, juking and jiving. And, of course, it was a white Jesus with a beard and blue eyes. And just think about that for a moment. Every knee will one day bow and confess and profess that Jesus is Lord. But it's kind of cute and kind of funny to make a bobblehead of Jesus and put it on our dashboard and let him rock and dance while we're... See what I'm saying? That's that's trivializing and tokenizing God. Or the t-shirt that I saw one time of Jesus riding on the back of a dinosaur. Maybe some of you have seen that. That's cute. That's silly. That's unfaithful. It's not... Can I just say this? I mean, I don't want to sound too harsh. That's not helpful. Let's use that language. It's just not helpful. If we're to rightly worship God and communicate Him and all that He's done for His people to the world, it's probably not the Christians who should have bobbleheaded Jesuses on our car dash wearing Jesus riding a dinosaur shirt. I just don't think that's helpful. I don't think that shows forth the truth of who Jesus is in Scripture. Now, that may have sounded like, well, where did that come from? Well, it came from real life. I mean, these are the things that 
that are all around us. But we need to have a reverence for the living God, understand the holiness of God. We don't tokenize Him. We don't trivialize Him. Um, We've got to be careful because our hearts are idolatrous and we will dishonor the holy God very easily with a good idea and a marketing scheme. There, I said it. Now, number four and lastly, what the second commandment requires of us. You know, it is a command. So what does it require of us? That is that we regard God, His Word and His worship with holy reverence. That we seek to keep, honor, and protect worship as holy to the Lord. This is a serious subject. You heard of Nadab and Abihu who had a great idea and offered something up to the Lord as worship, and the Lord burned with anger against it and made a point in history for us to be reminded through their mistake that we're to be serious about the Lord and His worship. We don't trivialize it. We don't tokenize it. We don't make it cute. But We want to honor the One who's created us, the One who's redeemed us, and we will do it imperfectly. We will only do it imperfectly, but we want to be faithful. We want to be found to have a faithful effort in our honoring of the living God. Now, I'll finish with this, and this is is essential. This sums it all up in, in in one short way, I hope. Why would the Lord tell His people not to create an icon, an image of Him? Well, it's for all the reasons that we've said this morning. But there's a really beautiful one that I want you to see in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and then 19 through 20. There's a reason why God's told us not to create an image of Him. And that is because the Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, that is Jesus and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. You see, we're never to create an image or icon of God because God would take on the image of flesh and come to us and be gifted to us. I can't say it any better than Ed Clowney from Westminster Theological Seminary, now deceased for, I guess, about 15 years, he said this, God commanded men to not make an image of Him because the veiled promise in the second commandment is that God would one day offer them an image of Himself. He would one day show Himself to His people in the person of Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of the second commandment is the birth of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? You remember in week one we talked about how Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. This is one glimpse of how He's done that. He's not come to abolish the second commandment. He's come to fulfill it. He's come to say, I am the image, the icon of the invisible God, you now see in the person of Jesus, His life, death, and ministry, God has come to you as a gift. 
He is the image of the one true God. Therefore, you and I seek to repent of our idol-making, repent of our superstitions, repent of our looking to persons, places, and things for identity and power and success. And we come to the cross and we say, there is the one true image of God given for us that we may worship and prostrate ourselves before Him and Him alone. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we confess to You that we are idol-making people. We look to anything we can do in our six days of labor to justify ourselves and prove ourselves and define ourselves, whether it's at school or at work or at home, with people or in our own minds. But Lord, help us to be a people who repent of that. Help us to be a people who live not to justify ourselves because we look to Jesus who is our justification. But Lord, would you sanctify us by your word and your spirit because they are true. And we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.